The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
So, you want a meeting with God. That's not easy to set up. It's not easy to have a meeting with God. There are certain conditions that we must meet if we're going to meet with Him. And after we meet those conditions, it may be some time before He meets with us. We don't have the right to say, I want a meeting with you, God, and God show up. Job proved that to us. Job argued with God. He fought. Why don't you come and talk to me, God? I can defend myself. God didn't show up until God decided to show. That's how it is with, with God. He's God. And I'm very troubled and very concerned today about our human hearts. Now, please, theology is very important to me. I read and study the scriptures, and I have all of my life, and I adhere closely to the doctrine. I pay attention carefully to my doctrine, because if the doctrine is wrong, then my whole approach to God will be wrong. So I'm very concerned about the information found in Scripture. I'm very concerned about the doctrine and the theology found in the Scriptures. But I am also very concerned about how we behave once we have that theology, once we claim that doctrine as our own. Then how do we live that out? How do we behave? How do we deal with one another? During the month of August, I had two very abrupt meetings with God. In both of those meetings, he told me exactly what he wanted me to do. He gave me my assignment. Now, I welcomed both of those meetings with God. But I didn't have a chance to say anything. He didn't give me an opportunity to dialogue in any way with him. It was, this is the truth. 
do it. Okay. I'm his slave. I'm his servant. Two years ago, the Lord told me, wait upon the Lord, and the Lord will carry you through. Rest in me, Ray. That's what the Lord said about 3 a.m. I don't know if it was audible, if it was in my heart, but it was very clear that was the word of the Lord to me. Again, there was no chance for dialogue. It was do this, do this, do this. And he has carried me. He has financially carried me. He has emotionally carried me. He has physically carried me. It's not an easy thing to have in a, a meeting with God. Moses was to have a meeting with God. He was called up on the mount, Mount Sinai. And he then promptly hurried up and sat down and waited for God for one week before God finally spoke to him and gave him the tablet of the Ten Commandments. Moses didn't have a tent with him. He didn't have a sleeping bag. He didn't have a cell phone. He sat on the mountain and he waited on God. Now, I woke up this morning about five, and my heart began to rejoice in Jesus. And I began to say to him, I'm honored, Jesus, to wait upon you. Now, I didn't go after him and say, I need a meeting with you. I do need a meeting with God where I can have some dialogue. I'm crying out for Pentecost power, for revival in Washington, D.C. I'm not interested in a show. I'm not interested in doing something for me. I want something for his people. He's not given me that opportunity. So in my prayer time this morning, as I awakened and my heart unfolded before Almighty God, the cry of my heart was, Lord, I am honored to wait before you. And I will continue to wait. Now he has come and he's given me very specific directions and I'm following those directions. But I'm also very aware that I have to wait on him and that he's worth waiting for. But how should I wait upon him? Well, I want to read a scripture for you that's troubling. A friend called me this morning and he wanted to talk about this passage. Matthew 24, begin with verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? Now, could I make that very current? Who then is the faithful and wise husband, whom the master has put in charge of the family? in his household, to give them their food at the proper time. 
it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master's staying away a long time. I've been waiting on God for a long time for a meeting. Obviously, he's not showing up. And so he begins to beat his wife. He begins to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant or that husband will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, that is, with just the actors on the stage. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the Lord is saying, look, you're, you're waiting for a meeting with me. Be careful how you treat your family. Be careful how you treat other people. You know, we all have deep wounds of the heart. Things have been said and done to us that have caused us harm. We've been cheated. We've been stolen from. We've been put down. We've been fought with. We've been denied even personhood. And out of that well of hurt, it's very easy to begin to be destructive toward other people with our judgments, with our criticisms, with our accusations. But God has called us out of that. I've been sharing with you all week, in fact, the last two weeks, out of the book of Romans, the sixth chapter. Yesterday, the great and terrible day of the Lord, and today, so you want a meeting with God, is still out of the series on Romans, the sixth chapter. Look at verse 12. Therefore, the sin must not reign in your mortal body to obey it in the lust of it. And you must not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to the sin, but once and for all yield yourselves to God as living out from among the spiritually dead men and yield your members as instruments of righteousness for God. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under law, but under grace. Now, those are not just words. He means that in how we relate one with another. It's possible to act in ways that will A, delay our meeting with God, or B, cancel the meeting with God, or C, cause God to come to us with words of judgment and rebuke instead of the conversation we wanted to have with him, he'll have a conversation with us that's quite painful. I don't want that for any of us. 
I want you to take seriously what it means as we enter into this time of great tribulation and great stress begins to be applied to our family, where the finances are not all flowing, where we don't know what we're going to do to take care of our children, where we don't know how we're going to manage and how we're going to make it through. This is either going to drive us into bitterness and rage and anger and irritation with one another, or it's going to cause us to humble our hearts before Almighty God. And say, Lord, I'm at the end of my rope. And he will always say to you, then die. Die to the anger, die to the irritation, die to the judgments, die to the criticisms, and humble your heart before me. That's what he'll say. And wait upon me. Wait upon me. Now, there are some Old Testament stories that talk about that. And one of my favorite stories that deals with this, it's terrifying. But I love the story because it cuts so into my own heart. And it tells me in my own heart how I'm to relate to people who, A, don't keep their word, or B, come at me with judgments. You know, I'm in a position teaching on this broadcast where some people get very angry with me and they come with pretty bitter, angry judgments. Okay, I get it. I understand that. I'd get mad at me too. But then I have to decide how I'm going to react. Yes, you heard me correctly. I get to decide which button in my emotional calendar or my emotional board I'm going to punch. I can get mad. I can get bitter. I can come back at them with judgments. And I've done all of that too many times. And God has been very displeased with me. Or I can die to that and say, wow, that person's in a lot of pain. How can I love them? How can I help them understand that they are loved? And how can I help them get their stuff right with Jesus? Now, that's a very different approach, isn't it? In 1 Samuel, the 13th chapter, we have a farm boy, a man, a farm man. He's 30 years of age. He's been selected as the first king of Israel and Judah. He's a handsome man. He's head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He's a big hunk of a guy. He's out hunting his donkeys for his family. They've been lost. And they're valuable, so Dad asked him if he'd go and take a servant and see if he could find them. And he meets Samuel, and he has a meeting with God. Now, before this process is over, the Holy Spirit has anointed him with power. 
The Holy Spirit has transformed him into a new creature. He's given him signs and wonders to be certain that this is God speaking. And Samuel said, wait for me. Wait for me. I'm going to come to you at Gilgal. Wait. Don't do anything. Don't don't do anything. Just wait for me. Well, we find in the 13th chapter that the Philistines are angry because they've now heard that a king has been established in Israel. And they consider Israel to be their slaves. They were the arch enemy of the children of Israel. So the Philistines assemble a huge army, 3,000 chariots, 6,000 chariots. I mean, those are like the Abrams tanks of our day in our military. Soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Well, the children of Israel, they start out with only an army maybe of 3,000 people. How can they face this huge army? So Saul, King Saul, is at Gilgal. And the troops are all quaking in fear. And they don't want to be there. They want to go home. They don't want to fight with the Philistines. Now, Samuel had set seven days a week. Wait for me for a week. So here's the situation. Saul's men begin to scatter till he's left with only about 600 men. And he's supposed to take on this huge army. But he has God on his side. But then even more men begin to return home. And finally, when he thinks that Samuel has not quite come on time, He says, God is my only hope. I better offer the sacrifices to God. I better get his approval. So not waiting for Samuel, impatient. He says, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offering. And Saul offers these up as burnt offerings. And just as he finishes making these offerings to God, Samuel arrives. And Saul hears the word, Samuel's coming, go out and meet him. First words out of Samuel's mouth. What have you done? Now listen to Saul's reply. When I saw that the men were scattering, in other words, circumstances began to shape how he would behave. Circumstances are never to shape how we respond to circumstances were to shape based on the word of God to us. The word of God to us is that we're to die and not walk in sin. That we've been born again. That we are walking in the Holy Spirit. And so we have the power to not respond as King Saul's choosing to respond. Now, the next thing he does, I saw that you did not come at the set time. So, so God, it's your fault. It's your fault. I have to do what I have to do. 
I expected you at this time and you didn't show up. Verse verse 12, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I've not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offerings. So now he's saying, when I saw what was happening, I saw the circumstances. I saw that you didn't do what you told me you would do. I see the Philistines are ready to attack me. And so I thought I began to work out a strategy for how I could win this situation. And I felt compelled to do it. Now let's get real. We're all faced with this. Difficult circumstances come. Difficult relationships come into our heart. Someone is angry with us. We don't see any way through this. And we begin to form our own plans. And we take actions that were not ordered by God, but bring great destruction into our lives. We're impatient. We want it now. We don't want to wait. We might be destroyed. We're losing an opportunity. Look, I have to get going with my life. And right now I'm faced with that. I'd like to go out and get a large facility and call for a solemn assembly and invite all of you to come. Holy Spirit has said, no, wait on me. What am I gaining by waiting on God? What am I gaining? Well, it's not about my gaining something. It's about my obedience to Jesus. In one moment, he can do more than I can do in a whole lifetime. In fact, he's told me many years ago, I'll do in one day more than you could do with your whole lifetime. Do you understand? You begin to do things that you think are wise to do. And those wise actions result in destruction. And so what are you going to do? How are you going to relate to this? You have your intellectual understanding. You have what you think is the truth. You think you can use your wisdom and step out in action. And all the time, you're waiting for a meeting with God. You just postponed it, brother, sister. You just said, I don't need your meeting, God. I'm going to go ahead and do what I need to do. And if you don't like it, stop me. Samuel says, verse 13, you acted foolishly. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of the people because you have not kept the Lord's command. One wrong 
decision can cancel what God wants for you. Please, this is very serious. You want God to come and give you direction? Then obey and wait on him. And stop setting up your own standards and your own ideas. Well, you know, I I don't think it's a very good idea to wait on God. After all, I know what I'm supposed to do and and I'm going to go ahead and do it. It doesn't matter. Oh, it does matter. It matters a great deal. What does God want with you? Then the story doesn't stop there. Chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. The prophet Samuel comes to Saul and he says, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, and infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. In other words, annihilate this wicked people. This is God's judgment on them. So Saul summoned the men, 220,000 foot soldiers, another 10,000 from Judah. So he went to where the Amalekites were, and he made war on them. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, in verse 8, this is, 1 Samuel 15, verse 8. He took him alive. And all the people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs. Everything that was good, these they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. And the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I've made Saul king because he has turned away from me. He has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled. He cried out to the Lord all night. Oh, he was extremely troubled because he knew God was angry. Now, please understand, you can make God very angry with you. I know you've heard God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, and he does love you. But you can make God very angry with you. And he can pass judgment on you. He can cancel you. Your very life hangs in the balance in obedience to the almighty God of heaven. 
to obeying the word of Scripture, to obeying the word of the Holy Spirit as it comes to you. Your life is hanging in the balance. Jonathan Edwards, he said, the sinner is hanging over the fire of hell on a spider thread. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I've made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. And Samuel is so troubled. It keeps him up all night praying, weeping, crying out to God. Early the next morning, Samuel dressed And he went to meet Saul. Now verse 12, this is chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. Verse 12 is very telling. Saul had gone to Carmel. There he had set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. So he has set up a war memorial saying, look at what a great victory I've had over the Amalekites. Look how wonderful I am. I am the king of Israel. When Samuel reached him, the first thing Saul said to him, the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? And Saul answered, The soldiers brought back from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Stop! Stop! Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me. He had no fear of God. He was the king of Israel. He didn't need to wait on God. He could do what he wanted to do. He was in charge of his life. He was in charge of Israel. They obeyed his every command. Oh, he's in trouble. Saul said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy these wicked people. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. Oh, wait a minute. Isn't Agag one of the Amalekites? So he's saying, look, I did exactly what the Lord told me to do. But I brought back Agag. He's a fellow king. Compromise. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best that was devoted to God in order to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Oh, look, I'm being obedient to God. 
while he's being utterly disobedient to God. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Now Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. I have a reason for what I did, Samuel. I was afraid of the men. I was afraid of the people. I'm a people pleaser. Don't you know that? I have to keep everybody happy. No, you have to keep God happy. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Oh, now he's very holy. Now he wants Samuel to come back and worship God with him. But listen, Samuel said, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. He's lost his place. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught the garment, the hem of his robe, and, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. And Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. That's what he was concerned about. He was concerned about whether or not he would receive honor and glory. He's just been told that the kingdom is torn away from him that he's going to be utterly shamed. And some years later, he went and sat at the table of a witch because God wouldn't speak to him anymore. I love the story of King David in Psalm 23. He went and sat at the table of the Lord. He knew his feet always belonged under the table of the Lord. Thou preparest a table before my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because he put his feet under the table of the Lord. He feasted on the things of God. He walked in obedience. Did he sin? Oh, David sinned grievously, but he repented. And then he went and sat before the Lord and put his feet under the table of the Lord. And the Lord forgave him. But Saul, he's not going to repent. All he wants is to be honored. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Empty human worship. 
Then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. So he came. Agag came confidently, thinking, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Now that's Holy Spirit worship. Are you sure you want a meeting with God? Are you sure you want to hear what God wants to say to you? For two years, I've been seeking a meeting with God. And I've had several. But not where I could talk to him about what I most want. Revival in Washington. Instead, he has simply spoken and given me very specific directions about what I'm to do in this broadcast. What my assignment is. And all I can do is say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I will wait upon you and I will do what you've ordered me to do. I'm not going to risk being rejected by God. Some of you, you don't like something and so you're gone. I talked with another brother this morning and he was saying to me, We've spoken the word of the Lord to so many people and we've done such acts of kindness and we've poured out our, our hearts for people. And then they turn around and leave. They walk away. I've done the same for many years. And I've watched as people turn and walk away. Angry. You did something wrong, Pastor. You're not who you're supposed to be. You didn't, you didn't say the right thing. You didn't do the right thing. And you're right. I've made many, many mistakes. None, however, who, that would justify how many have responded. In the church, we, we shoot the wounded. We curse them. We desert them. So many times we give and the person walks away and our hearts are pierced, are broken. Why do they walk away? Well, because... As the scriptures puts it, verse 21 of, of Philippians. Philippians 2.21, For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. When your interest is your own, and your goal is to feather your nest, when your goal is to have every advantage come your way, it's very easy to judge another. It's very easy to turn aside. I want to read this to you. 
do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And in humility, consider others better than yourselves. You know, you're on real dangerous territory when you begin to say, I know more than he does. He's wrong. I'm right. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. We're called to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling and to know that it's God who is working in us to work out that salvation. And it requires great humility on our part. And it requires a very strict obedience to the word of God to us. And if you think you're hearing the word of God and the word of God is to cut and run, you're not hearing the word of God. That's not what God says. When you're hearing to build a monument in your own honor, that's not God. If you're hearing, well, this is the wise thing. I need to do this to take care of business. You're not hearing from God. You're hearing from your own ego, from your own desires, wanting to be pleasing to somebody or something, but not to God. Such pain and such hurt caused. Such sin committed. As we walk away from what God has called us to. And fill our time and our energy. With self. We get so full of our own ideas, so full of our own thoughts, so full of our own desires. I know why I have to wait on God. It's so that my own thoughts and desires can be laid down. Moses, I'm sure, as he sat on that mountaintop, had his own ideas about what should be done with the children of Israel. He was the humblest man who ever walked the earth. But it took him a week to let go of his ideas about how to handle the children of Israel. And when finally the humility was in place, and he was not running down to make sure everything was okay, he humbly waited on God. And it took him a week. It's taken me a couple years. 
to humble and quiet my heart, to give up the rage and the anger, to give up the entitlement, to humble my heart before God, to not spout off everything I think I know, all the information that I've collected to prove that I'm right and you're wrong. It takes time to let go of that. And so God waits because we're not ready to meet with him yet. So you want a meeting with God? Please understand from this man it's not easy to get a meeting with God. And once you do get a meeting with God, it becomes very, very serious because if you disobey what he tells you to do, <clears throat> you'll lose everything. And it's so easy to be deceived. Seducing spirits coming and whispering lies into our hearts. It's so easy to be deceived. The devil knows what our heart's desire is. So if he can seduce us away from simply waiting on God and his word to us, he'll do it. He'll get us into sexual impurity or he'll get us into arrogance. He'll get us into fighting with our family. He'll get us into something so that God says, mm, I don't think you're ready for a meeting with me. Sin will not rule over you because you are not under law, but under grace. You want to know where to buy that house? You want to know where and what and when you're supposed to do? And wait on God. Wait on the Lord. And as you wait, your heart will grow still. Your heart will be humbled. You'll get back on track and back doing what you're supposed to be doing. And when you're ready, you'll have that meeting with God. And he'll make plain to you, out of the scriptures, from a brother or sister, or a direct dream or vision, or even the direct word of God to your heart. But you're going to have to give up your own way, your own excuses your own bitterness and anger. You're going to have to humble your heart. You're going to have to say, I'm sorry to the Lord and to other people. You're going to have to take responsibility for what you've done and then say, Lord, I'll wait on you. And I'm honored to wait upon you, Jesus. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. 
I hope today's been helpful to you. I hope it will help make your life a little more real, that you'll wait on God, that you'll not be impatient with him. Two minutes. Please, I'm waiting on you and on God to move in your heart for your tithes and offerings to keep this radio broadcast on the air. If you'd like to write to me, please do so at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Thank you for the brother who just did that this morning. Go to the upper right-hand corner and you can click on the donate button and you can give online. Or there are the podcasts and the videos, YouTube videos. I'd ask you, please subscribe to the YouTube video. That will help Google to release it more broadly. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'm so glad you were here today. I pray that your heart has been helped and healed and that you'll wait on God. I'd like to meet you in person. I hope I can do that soon. I love you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.